Puerto Rico bracing for a hurricane and gets a direct hit from the president. The lead starts right now. Breaking news, Hurricane Dorian slamming, uh, preparing to swipe Puerto Rico, an island still suffering from Hurricane Maria two years ago. The storm could also hit the U.S. mainland as a major hurricane. And as if getting slammed by Mother Nature isn't enough, the president spent this morning ripping Puerto Rico and specifically the mayor of San Juan. She will be here to respond. And take the land, don't worry, I'll pardon you. A new report goes inside President Trump's all-out and possibly law-bending attempt to build the border wall before people vote. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Dana Bash in for Jake Tapper. And we start with breaking news in the national lead. What is now Hurricane Dorian lashing the Virgin Islands and bearing down on Puerto Rico. It's proving to be a test for the already battered island and the three million people, all American citizens, who live there. Dorian's track keeps changing and it keeps getting stronger, now expected to swell into a Category 3 hurricane as it heads towards Florida. CNN is covering every angle, and we'll start with CNN's Omar Jimenez on Puerto Rico's east side. So, Omar, what's happening where you are? Dana, well, just to our east, Hurricane Dorian continues to gather strength by the minute at this point. At the very least, it has kept people on the island of Puerto Rico on their toes. Obviously, the devastation that Hurricane Maria brought less than two years ago now is still very much top of mind. It is why they have tried to make sure that everything has been as prepared as possible. And that, of course, extends from help from the federal government and FEMA resources and also down to the 78 mayors across the island and to the, of course, citizens as well. Now, one of the things they have tried to keep a handle on is power outages across the island. So they've tried to make sure they've had enough generators for any issues that popped up there, but also trying to make sure that with the rainfall that we have seen in portions uh, of the island, that it does not become to a point where, uh, come to a point, excuse me, where landslides could occur and, of course, flash flooding as well. So there are all factors we are keeping an eye on at this point. But I can tell you at this moment, everyone here does does seem to be prepared with the worst on their mind, but hoping for the best. And Omar, you mentioned the power. It took nearly a year for Puerto Rico to restore yeah. electricity after the 2017 storm. So is the power holding up where you are so far? So far here on the eastern portion of the island, we're in the town of Umacao, it has held up. But it is part of why FEMA has brought in way more generators than they had over the course uh, or in the aftermath, I should say, of Hurricane Maria. They brought in more personnel as well. And with the emergency declaration that has been granted, they'll be able to deploy those resources quickly if necessary. Dana. Omar, thank you so much. We will certainly be getting back to you throughout the day and the night. I want to go straight to CNN meteorologist Tom Sater. Now, Tom, the National Weather Service director in San Juan said today the Dorian's winds don't compare to Maria in 2017, but it's still a really powerful storm. Oh, it's still a hurricane. There's no doubt. And as he mentioned there, I know they've been preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. The hoping part is working. A lot, Dana, has happened in the last 24 hours. Yesterday, Air Force Reconnaissance sort of had a tough time even finding the center. And once we found it, it was farther to the north. So once you have the center found, then you base the track on that. And so the track has moved away pretty much from what was a couple of days ago, Hispaniola, hoping the mountains would break it down, uh, and then toward the Mona Pass in between Puerto Rico and, and Dominican Republic, and then kept moving it to the east. 
Then we thought the landfall was going to be on Puerto Rico. An hour and a half ago, the center was right over St. Thomas. Currently, Dana, the center is 60 miles from San Juan. They will not take a direct hit. But even better news when we look at the system, even though they're 60 miles from the center, the tropical storm force winds extend out 80. So you would think that they would be into those tropical storm force winds, but they're all off to the east. Mm -hmm. The eastern flank of the center is where all of the energy is. It's where the heavier rainfall is. It's where the hurricane force winds are. So they're really getting extremely lucky. Now, yes, there's going to be some flash flooding. Uh, the southern sections in the, the city of Ponce is have a, has a flash flood uh, warning right now because it's coming down off the mountains. But the bigger story may now be it's going to be in open waters. And that's a concern for the U.S. And, and Tom, you talked about how much Dorian's track is shifting, especially in, yes. in the last 12 to 18 hours. What about this storm makes it so difficult to track? You know, th this has been an interesting storm from the beginning. Very intriguing. It was small in size to begin with. Uh, and it's almost like it wrapped itself in its own cocoon. A couple of days ago, Dan, we were like, it's surrounded by dry air. There's no way this is going to survive. But it did. And it kept developing, kept developing. It's still small and it will get larger, but it's not going to happen until now that it passes Puerto Rico. And it's going to most likely bypass most of the Bahama Islands. So that means open water. That's when the fuel line is open and it's going to be just ingesting these warmer waters. And when it gets closer to that warm jet stream, that's when it explodes. And that's why now we think we could be looking at a major hurricane. Mm. But really, where does it go? I mean, that is a big, big question. It could go up toward the Carolinas. It could move back out into the Atlantic. It could cut right across Florida and then generate more strength in the Gulf of Mexico. So a lot, a lot still to learn. It's been a tricky storm. Sure has. Tom Sater, thank you so much for that update. And I want to go now on the phone to the mayor of San Juan, Puerto Rico, Carmen Yulene Cruz. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. First, is San Juan ready for what's going to hit it? Well, certainly we're uh, much more ready than we were two years ago. Our entire um, medical services organization is all powered by generators, if need be. Our hospital, as far as we know, our municipal hospital, is the only hospital in Puerto Rico that has not one but two generation systems. So all of our 10 surgical rooms would be working and fully operational. Um, we have enough food, water, surgical equipment, and medication to last one month, and that includes not only what we need for the municipality, but um, the ability to take care of people outside. Uh, already we have 800 boxes of food and uh, essentials for people. We have water, we have ice, uh, we have enough diesel and enough uh, gas uh, in reserve uh, so that we can withstand one month. We have uh, generators, um, 50 tower lights and 32 generators of various capacities so all of this has been done by the um, municipal infrastructure, and it's a municipal investment. So we are certainly um, very much more ahead in terms of planning than we were two years ago. Right now, we have four shelters open, and only two of them have been receiving people at 2 o'clock. We had around 45 people in our shelters. And, and Mayor Cruz, you talk about how, how much you guys are working on being prepared this time around. Um, in the pa past eight hours, as you are doing that, the president has been sending out some tweets, I'm sure you're aware, uh, saying that you are incompetent, saying that Puerto Rico is one of the most corrupt places on earth, 
and that he is the best thing to ever happen to Puerto Rico. Your response? No, the, the president has a vanity complex. He thinks everything is about him. He's a liar and a racist, and he continues to try to belittle the people of Puerto Rico. But while he's doing that, um, you know, Congressman Benny Thompson is trying to do his best in keeping the Puerto Rico uh, topic alive and making sure that anything he can do from the FEMA perspective is going to happen. Senator Bernie Sanders uh, spoke about us this morning on tweets uh, saying, look, President, enough is enough. Just just get off your high horse and start doing the work that you need to do. Uh, Congresswoman Nidia Velasquez. Um, uh, I just I got a call from Darren Soto a few hours ago. So while he is trying to, and let me tell you what he's trying to do. This is the oldest trick in the book. He has stolen $155 million from uh, emergency uh, relief money to build his wall, a wall that will divide and a wall that's frankly against uh, people of color and the Latino population. So an insult from President Trump is is. It's well-received on my part because that means he knows that I'm you, nothing like him. So you, you, what you are talking about is the fact that the Trump administra administration is shifting at least $155 million from a FEMA disaster relief fund to support its immigration policies at the border. Obviously, you, uh, as you mentioned, you think that, that is, that's a very bad policy. But what are you hearing from the Democrats you mentioned who have called you about their attempts to prevent that from happening? Well, number one is they're going to keep uh, the conversation going and they're going to keep fighting for the people of Puerto Rico. I had a, a, I have to say, you know, you have to say things as they are. I had a wonderful conversation with uh, Marianne Tierney this morning, the regional administrator for FEMA Region 3 in uh, Philadelphia, uh, opening the channels of communication, which was much more than what FEMA did uh, last time. So that is a, a very good step, and my my hope is that the president really uh, keeps his mouth shut and lets the people that are doing the work do the work that needs to be done to save lives. This is what you're supposed to say Mayor to the people to the people of Florida, from the mayor of San Juan. We are with you. Our thoughts and prayers are with you, and if need be, we will be there for you to make sure that you don't die as 3,000 of us died because of the president's negligence and bureaucracy. Mayor Carmen, Yulene Cruz, thank you. We will let you get back to the important week, work that you're doing to prepare for thank whatever is coming your way. Thank you. And Puerto Rico is not the only target of President Trump's today. We have breaking news on what's driving the president to lash out. That's next. President Trump is unloading on a number of targets on Twitter today, going after Puerto Rico as it braces for a hurricane and suggesting Fox News is betraying him and his supporters. I'm going to get right to the White House. CNN's Caitlin Collins is live there. And Caitlin, you have some new reporting about what's rattling the president. Yeah, Dana, you've seen the president lash out at recent days from everything from Puerto Rico to the G7 summit to his much promised border wall that still has not been built along the southern border. We're told that a lot of this has to do with the president keeping an eye on 2020. And he's now realizing that what he was relying on to get him reelected, the economy is not looking so good. This comes as there has been infighting on the president's own economic team who has contradicted each other publicly, disagreed privately over what 
path they should take to stave off these worries about an economic downturn, which they are now concerned is going to spill over into how voters decide who they're going to vote for in 2020. Now, the president is searching for a win to run on in 2020, in 2020, some accomplishment that he can look off of. And this comes as the president is still dealing with problems as of today, like Puerto Rico and the storm that is now bearing down upon it. With the new storm barreling toward Puerto Rico, President Trump is reigniting old feuds, slamming the U.S. territory as one of the most corrupt places on Earth tweeting, their political system is broken and their politicians are either incompetent or corrupt. Congress approved billions of dollars last time, more than any place else has ever gotten, and it is sent to crooked politicians. No good. And by the way, I'm the best thing that's ever happened to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico has been taken care of better by Donald Trump than by any living human being. Local officials say otherwise including the San Juan mayor who feuded with Trump after Hurricane Maria in 2017, when she blamed his administration for being too slow to respond. As Puerto Rico and its 3.2 million American citizens brace for another major storm, Trump is shrugging off his role as comforter-in-chief and focusing on the feuds. But critics say he should focus on his response after he tossed paper towels to a crowd the last time he visited the island. I give ourselves a 10. While the president is on hurricane watch, he's also criticizing his favorite TV channel, tweeting today that we have to start looking for a new news outlet because Fox isn't working for us anymore. Trump launching that attack after the network interviewed a Democratic Party official. All this as the Washington Post reports he recently told aides, quote, don't worry, I'll pardon you if they had to break the law to get his border wall built by the next election. The wall is being built. We're building tremendous numbers of miles of wall right now in different locations. Trump making that claim last week, but officials tell CNN that as of August, no new miles of his border wall have been built. Instead, Customs and Border Patrol has replaced roughly 60 miles of barrier that already existed but was deteriorating, though officials insist there are plans for 110 miles of new wall in place. Now, Dana, we're also now being told by an administration official that President Trump did not agree to that proposed aid package for Brazil to help fight those fires in the Amazon at the G7 summit. At the end of it, the French president announced this proposed package, implying that the United States was on board and that all of the G7 nations had agreed to it. But now that Brazil has rejected that aid package because they weren't consulted about it, we are being told by an administration official that the president never signed off on agreeing to that package either. And they said that was in part because there were not those consultations with the Brazilian president, Dana. Caitlin, thank you for that. We have so much to unpack here around the table. I mean, let's just start with this new reporting. Caitlin is hearing, I'm hearing, and other colleagues about um, some of what is going into the president's latest series of Twitter rants, um, that he is not happy, uh, that he is he's worked up about several things, about the coverage that he got at the G7, and also, more importantly, what's happening with the economy, which has been his, hope. he hoped, his calling card, uh, when it came to uh, the uh, the election, the re-election, 
President Trump is freaking out. Uh, that's clear by how he's behaving on Twitter, how he's behaving uh, reportedly with staff and in the White House. Um, and we can see that even by his how frantic he is about building the wall. As we just saw in some of the reporting, new wall hasn't been built. He's trying to transfer money. It doesn't matter that there's a storm headed toward Puerto Rico. And sometimes he tells you exactly what he's thinking. And in this case, he's worried about 2020. He knows his supporters want the wall. He wants that chant at the uh, at the rallies coming up next mm -hmm. year. So he's clearly feeling the heat about 2020 in the election. That's always been front and uh, uh, first and foremost in his mind. And now he's seeing polls of a lot of Democrats beating him. I think it's pretty clear what's happening. That's one of the things that's going on with the polls. But the, the poll that came out today from Quinnipiac University on the economy, mm -hmm. um, just looking at it from the point of view of a reporter, but more importantly, hearing about uh, it from the from inside, talking to Trump sources, this is bad. Look at the look at the screen right now for him. Trump's handling of the economy underwater, which means that disapproval is higher than the approval. And maybe even worse than that for the president is the following, that more Americans now think that the economy is going in the wrong direction for the first this is for the first time in this poll in the Trump presidency than the right direction. You've been on uh, many a campaign. You know how important these economic numbers are. Yeah, they're key. This was going to be the calling card for the president, right? The state of the economy, the strength of his management of the economy. This was going to be the essence of the argument for reelection. The challenge is, you know, really for the president, the issue is how is the economy doing going into the election? A lot of people focus on the economy on Election Day. That's the wrong measure. All of the empirical research tells us the measure to worry about is the state of the economy going into the election. That's six months before is critical. And if people aren't feeling good about it, if the economic numbers aren't as good, if the president's handling of the economy is not as good, that's going to be bad news for the president as he thinks about re-election. So there's no question that 2020 and the factors behind re-election are motivating his thinking and the thinking of many of his aides right now. And I think the reason why this is so dangerous for Trump right now and, frankly, for his supporters and Republicans on the Hill is that they've been always been able to say, oh, yeah, he says stupid things. Yeah, he's tweeted racist things. Yeah, he embraces white nationalists and white supremacists. But look at the economy, Right. That is kind of disappearing right now. And when you have a poll that shows that for the first time he's underwater with these numbers, and then you look at every single other issue where he has been underwater for so long, that just completely spells danger. And then he starts freaking about everything else, and he starts insulting the people in Puerto Rico who are about to face another hurricane. Florida, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting to see what he says about Florida, an important swing mm -hmm. state for him, so he's got to be careful there. But I do think that it spells danger signs, not just for him and his reelection, but frankly, what goes on around him when what you want, what you need in the Oval Office is calm, and that's the furthest from the president's and mind. You right mentioned the, the, the tweets today, Antonia, as the uh, Republican communications specialist at the table. <laughs> The fact that he went after Fox News today specifically for the idea because of the, the fact that they had a Democrat on their air and he was upset that the host didn't challenge the Democrat. You see the tweet up there. Take, uh, Fox News is letting millions of great people down. We start looking for the for a news outlet. Fox isn't working for us anymore. Well, Does Fox work for, for you guys? <laughs> No, it doesn't work for Republicans, no. And I would actually say that it does pretty well. I mean, of course, as does CNN. But I look, the president likes to criticize everyone. It, he criticizes this network. He criticizes NBC. He likes to sit there. But we haven't and, heard this kind of thing mm -mm. as much. We've heard it uh, from time to time as True. much about Fox True. because they're 
There's a symbiotic relationship, and that's an understatement. That's true. That is true. One, I would say, on my side of the aisle have made uh, similar accusations about a network that is not CNN. We'll just leave it there. Um, I would say, look, he is very critical of the press um, because he is consumed by the press. I mean, he uses TiVo. He watches everything. He consumes everything. So his tweet storms are very much guided by what he has watched and what he has seen. And you can see he doesn't like good coverage he lashes out. And so there is a lot of that's just how he does things. This is the Trump show. It has always been the Trump show. I don't think this is quite as different or sort of different than what he's always been. I mean, he since I'm just saying like he was going into the election, he went after Senator McCain. I mean, this is kind of what he does. And he's critical of everything and everyone. And I, I don't the, expect the him difference to is that, that it's what Trump sees. Trump thinks yeah. that Fox News works for him. And he calls the Sarah. opinion host, not the reporters necessarily, not that we've heard of, but he calls the opinion host. He gets advice from them. Mm -hmm. So it's his perception. One of the things I thought was so interesting in how he said it was it's not working for us. <laughs> I mean, he was calling his supporters to say this isn't our network anymore and i'll be interested to see how fox sure. handles that in right. the next few days. i would just make one uh, observation that there are plenty of reporters who've gone into democratic politics over time so i would just say that the sort of bias question from the conservative side in terms of the media there is There's some legitimate i think like fox to, is though. pretty clearly a trump, uh, yeah. trump right. mouthpiece. Every, everybody, everybody stand by we can talk more about that in the break or <laughs> maybe later in the show but president trump is apparently encouraging aides to break the law for the border wall. A key member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Democrat Chris Coons, is going to respond next. In our 2020 lead, it looks pretty likely that more than half the Democratic field will not qualify for the next debate. And with that deadline just hours away, a new poll shows Joe Biden with a double-digit lead over his rivals. CNN's Arlette Signs reports from the campaign trail in Gaffney, South Carolina. The next Democratic primary debate in Houston, one step closer to being set. The debate likely a one-night event with 10 candidates. And for the first time, Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren are preparing to take the same stage. I'm just going to be me and she'll be her and let people make their judgments. I have great respect for her. The tougher polling and donor standards leaving out more than half of the Democratic primary field, with Tom Steyer on the verge of missing the cut by one poll. The candidates off the debate stage remaining undeterred for now. Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely staying in the race. It's missing something mm. by not having my voice. But, you know, again, it is what it is. With the next debate two weeks away, a new Quinnipiac national poll shows Biden leading his closest rivals by double digits, similar to his advantage in a CNN survey released last week. Today, Biden taking his pitch to South Carolina, where black voters make up the majority of the Democratic primary electorate. But we can't just campaign to beat Donald Trump. Black Democratic voters are a key component of Biden's support, with 46 percent saying they back the former vice president. Biden telling a group of black reporters this week, people know me, or at least they think they know me after all this time. They have a sense of who my character is and who I am, warts and all. Now, Joe Biden told that group of reporters that he would prefer to pick as a running mate either a woman or a person of color. But Biden added he can't commit to that just yet. He wants to make sure that that choice is authentic and that the person can be on the same page with him. Dana. 
Arlette, thank you so much. And back with our panel now. Uh, this new poll today from Quinnipiac University mirrors CNN's poll and uh, one other, which shows that Joe Biden still has a significant lead. Turns out that the one earlier this week from Monmouth was an outlier because that showed mm-hmm. that Joe Biden had a significant dip. I should say that the head of the, that poll right, even admitted that they were an outlier. But overall, what do we now see about where this race is? Well, I don't. I, I, my view is that at this point, voters are still getting to know everybody. You've mm-hmm. still got a relatively big field. Uh, these polls are usually relatively small sample sizes, so you're probably going to have large bands of error. Joe Biden's got a lot of things going for him at this stage of the race. The question is, are those things going to be able to sustain him as the progressive base of the party begins to settle in on a candidate, right? The thing about the Monmouth poll that was interesting is if you total up the Sanders and Warren share, it you know, sort of outstrips whatever Biden has in that poll or any other poll for that matter. So if I were Biden, I'd be a little concerned about that. But at this point, it's clear there's some durability to his numbers. Yeah, I would say, though, that, you know, David Yepsen, who's an old columnist, not old as an old, but has been, <laughs> a, veteran. Has been a columnist for a long veteran. time. Iowa for a long time. He said the other day that the most popular voting block is undecided in Iowa. And it will be that two weeks before the caucus. And I have spent a number of years in Iowa. We should say that you were President Obama, now or then President Obama's Iowa press secretary. Yeah, and I worked for John Kerry and had the same job. Yeah. And I will tell you, people are still getting to know these candidates. If you look at these polls, the positive numbers, the favorability numbers are interesting because uh, a lot of them are not known by a huge percentage of the population. But if they have high favorables among that, that's mm-hmm. an interesting sign. Uh, so not a lot has changed in the race, but I'm a believer there's still a long way to go. And there could be a lot of movement that could take place among some of these candidates. I did think that Elizabeth Warren had a very very good sign in there for her um, in this poll, where her support among demographic groups was similar, was pretty evenly spread. Her support among age groups was similarly spread. So she doesn't have a big weak point on that front, and that's probably a good sign for her team. One of the things that um, many of the undecided voters mm-hmm. in Iowa and elsewhere say, almost across the board on the Democratic side, is they want to beat President Trump, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So we do have some new numbers about what some of these, uh, these uh, Democratic candidates would look like stacked up. And the ones that you see on the screen, they would all beat President Trump. Um, By double digits, even Buttigieg, according to this poll, would beat President Trump by nine percentage points. I think it's a little early to know how real and lasting and durable those those numbers are. Um, For example, if you look at Elizabeth Warren, no one's ever gone after her yet. She's pretty much had a free pass in all these debates. The next debate, are they going to, yeah, is someone going to go after her, start dinging her? So there's going to be a lot more of the attacks on each other as the field narrows. There's going to be more hits taken, and they're going to see that reflected in the polls. And also when President Trump, whether you like him or hate him, he is right now, yes, he is known. Once he's up against someone, there will be someone to attack and go after. Right now there's 10. And your next debate stage. Those polls that you mentioned, I think, are another reason why Trump is freaking out, because before it really was just Biden. And so he would go after Biden. Now it's a whole slew of Democrats. But I think that also shows that I do think the race is fluid right now. Biden does have some solid numbers for him. But look, a day is a lifetime in politics. We know this now better than at any other time. Anything can happen. So I think that the the Biden camp needs to make sure that they are making the case in Iowa, that they are making the case in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Those those state polls, I think, are going to be the ones that are going to really see, show us what the trend lines are and what people need to be paying. And we have to mention that today is decision day for the next Mm -hmm. debate. And it looks like when the clock strikes midnight that 10 Democrats 
will make the stage. I see them on the screen. And it will be a stage, mm -hmm. not two stages, yep. which means 12 Democrats who are still in likely will not. And it's an entirely new dynamic, it yep. will be, as Antonia just referenced. So we had, no one has seen Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren on the stage together, and they will at this debate. And they will see how the candidates interact with each other. So that will be compelling and interesting. Yep. Look, this is a, a, a field that was bigger than the Democrats have ever had. Um, and we've had an welcome. opportunity. I know, welcome. <laughs> you all experienced Join it last night. We've had an opportunity to see a lot of them, but I think I, I join a lot of Democrats who feel like it's time to winnow the field. It's good that it's one stage. We need to see these candidates up against each other and really debating and not just uh, kind of having a conversation. I think that's right. And you're going to see real contrast on an issue like health care, where Joe Biden's got an ad out now, basically creating the opening for him to attack Warren and Sanders mm -hmm. on Medicare for all. We're actually going to see that debate mm -hmm. between front runners. And for those who didn't make it, I would say this. Look, you know, we're talking about four polls out of 21 at 2% yeah. or more. Stop complaining. Right. There's a reason why you're not on the debate <laughs> stage. It's because people aren't going to vote yeah. for you. Yeah. And so, you know, this is actually going to be a debate between people who could potentially be the nominee of the Democratic Party. And if I were a Democrat, I'd be excited to see that contest. I think that's right. This isn't only one stage. It is the next stage in the Democratic yep. primary, I believe. Because even though all of those people who did not make the stage swear that they're going to be staying in and they're going to try to make a threshold for the upcoming debates, to your point, that's going to be incredibly difficult. I see what you did there. That was a nice wordplay, Maria. Yeah. <laughs> Searching for a win ahead of the 2020 election, President Trump reportedly tells his aides, you can break the law if you give me my wall. A key member of the Senate Judiciary Committee responds live next. Our politics lead build the wall, even if it breaks the law. Two officials telling CNN that President Trump offered to pardon U.S. officials for any potential wrongdoing in order to get his border wall finished by Election Day, a signature promise of his campaign and his presidency. And according to The Washington Post, which broke the story, Mr. Trump told aides to take the land if they have to and disregard environmental regulations. Joining me now is Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. He serves on the Judiciary and Foreign Relations Committee. Senator, thank you so much for joining me. First question is, uh, what is your reaction to this reporting that the president offered to pardon officials if they break the law in order to get his wall bill? Dana, this is uh, just another in the daily cavalcade of outrages from this president. The idea that he is so determined to meet one of his campaign promises uh, to build a wall with Mexico and make Mexico pay for it, uh, that today, two and a half years into his presidency, uh, he's not only diverting money from hurricane relief and from Department of Defense projects, but he is offering to pardon folks in his administration if they break the law by seizing private land uh, and racing through the contracting process in order to get it done, uh, it's hard to know what to say other than it's Wednesday and our president has done another outrageous thing. Um, my hope is that the American public is paying attention. And there is a reason why Joe Biden continues to enjoy a double-digit lead uh, over uh, his competitors for the presidential nomination. Americans know that Joe Biden would address these issues, the ways in which President Trump's antics at the G7 um, suggesting we should invite Russia back to the table um, would be changed fundamentally and promptly if Joe Biden were our president. And the ways in which uh, President Trump's attacks today on Puerto Rico, even as it faces a likely hurricane, um, would be the exact opposite of how so, 
a President Joe Biden would conduct himself in office. I think it was pretty obvious there, but we should say you have endorsed uh, Senator Biden. You're a fellow. I have endorsed <laughs> Joe Biden for president. <laughs> for yes. fellow uh, Democrat from Delaware. I want to ask you about something else that's that's in the news that we've we've heard about, and that is Bill Barr, the attorney general, plans to hold a $30,000 Christmas party at the Trump Hotel here in Washington. He's paying for it with his own money, says ethics officers signed off. Do you think that's appropriate as a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee? Well, it's troubling that our attorney general doesn't see any problem uh, with spending a significant amount of money on very publicly uh, holding a Christmas party uh, at a hotel that is owned by and has the name of our president uh, on the very front of it. Um, president Trump uh, has done nothing to significantly distance himself uh, from his ongoing economic interests. Uh, and the most recent proof of that was yesterday when at the G7, uh, he publicly announced that next year when the United States hosts the G7, he thinks the best place to have it would be at a Trump-owned resort in Florida, the Doral. Um, so we have a president who doesn't respect the boundaries between the emoluments clause of our Constitution, uh, his own personal interests and the uh, possible conflicts of interest in his public conduct. And now we have an attorney general who I think is blind to the potential appearance of impropriety uh, by his having his annual cocktail party, his holiday party, excuse me, um, is, at the Trump Hotel in Washington. Is there anything Congress it's can do about it or the Senate? Development. Is there anything the Judiciary Committee can do about it as, a, as part of its oversight function? Well, when we get back into session September 9th, I'm certainly going to be talking with colleagues about whether there's something we could do in the appropriations process uh, or something we could do as members of the Judiciary Committee um, to suggest that it's, it's inappropriate for the attorney general to take this step. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask about some breaking news today out of the Senate, and that is Republican Senator Johnny Isaacson of Georgia announced that he's going to resign from Congress because of failing health. I know, Senator, that you and he worked well together across party lines, which people don't see much these days. Uh, Johnny is one of um, the kindest, most decent, most capable people I've ever served with. Uh, he and his wife, Diane, are, are great friends of my wife's and mine. And uh, I am frankly heartsick uh, at the idea of Johnny retiring at the end of this year. I, I can't imagine the Senate without him. Uh, he's part of the glue that holds us together. Uh, he is just exactly the sort of person that you would hope serves in the Senate, tireless in advocating for his constituents, um, someone who has legislated across the aisle repeatedly and successfully, um, someone who's humble and hardworking, uh, capable and faithful. I will deeply miss him, uh, and I look forward to years of friendship uh, in the future uh, and to serving out the rest of this year with him. Uh, I'm the vice chairman of the Ethics Committee. He's the chairman, and he has led the Ethics Committee very capably with a, a balance of uh, common sense and good character. And in my first term in the Senate, I was the chairman of the Africa subcommittee, and he was my ranking member. We've traveled together. We've legislated together. I will deeply miss Johnny Isaacson in the United States Senate. Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware, thank you so much, Senator. Thank you, Dana. And up next, U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson making a rare request of the Queen. We'll explain next. In our world lead protests in London after British Prime Minister Boris Johnson revealed he's going to suspend Parliament in the middle of the Brexit crisis. He's even dragging the Queen into the drama. She essentially had to approve his request to sus suspend Parliament, whether she agreed with it or not. 
The move will make it even harder for anti-Brexit British lawmakers to fight against the referendum. Now, President Trump is backing up his friend Johnson today, saying he is exactly what the U.K. has been looking for. CNN's Richard Quest joins me now from London. Richard, what does this mean for the future of Brexit? Well, the no-deal Brexit train is careering down the tracks towards October the 31st, and any effort by MPs in the building behind me to try and stop it suddenly got much harder. There was only a limited number of sitting days between now and then, and there are even fewer now Boris Johnson has suspended Parliament. He's basically gone as close as possible to the nuclear option. People are calling it a constitutional outrage, unconstitutional, undemocratic. Tonight, no-deal Brexit looks a lot closer. And Richard, on top of all of this, President Trump is getting involved. Oh, yes. His tweet today would be very hard for Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the opposition, to seek a no-confidence vote against new prime minister. Boris is exactly what the UK has been looking for and will prove to be a great one, I suppose, instead of the chosen one. Love UK. Now, think about this. Just think about it. Could you imagine a foreign politician commenting on the internal politics of the United States. They would run a mile. But the US president has no compunction in immersing himself in the British internal politics, as he did with Theresa May, praising Johnson against May time and again. So Boris Johnson may not be very happy to have the endorsement tonight of being the great one or a great one. But the reality, Diana, is no deal Brexit is much closer tonight than it was. The UK is in a perilous state in many ways in terms of its relations with Europe. And Boris and Donald Trump may have made things just a little bit worse. All right, Richard Quest, thank you for breaking that all down from London. Appreciate it. And any minute, the new hurricane, Dorian, forecast from the National Hurricane Center. We'll bring it to you. Take a break. We'll be back. Any minute, we'll get an update on Hurricane Dorian, currently a Category 1 hurricane hitting the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. You can follow me on Twitter at DanaBashCNN or tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 